Uh, good morning. How are you guys this morning? Good. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have some over on the table over there. We will be in Isaiah chapter 9. Is that just me? I sound like a robot. <laughs> 212. There we go. Hey, there we go. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read our text for the day. Did I say there's Bibles over there? If you don't have one, you can grab one of those. I'll read our text and we'll go ahead and dig in. Uh, we're going to be in Isaiah 9, starting in verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, uh, he, in the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali. But the later time, in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day. We are talking about you, about the promises, about who you are and what you have done. And I pray that you would help us connect a text written in 8th century B.C. to our day today, to Seattle today, to the reality of your rule and reign in our life today, that if we are yours, you have taken our burden upon your shoulders. You are the Prince of Peace. You are our peace. You are glorious God and wonderful. There's nothing better than knowing the God God who made everything, and you have revealed yourself to us. You have come down, Jesus, to us because we cannot get up to you. And so we just say it and proclaim it and, and just confess it right now, Jesus. We can't get to you. You had to come down to get to us. And because you came down to get to us, because you paid the price for our sins, because you've made us new, we're new. We might not feel new today, but if we're yours, we are. You're the God of truth, not how I feel this morning. So I pray that we would hear this text, not as people who are feeling the way we're feeling, but as people who know the truth, that we are blood-bought sinner saints, and that we are here to enjoy you and to know you and to glorify you. And you can only do that, we can only do that if you move today, Jesus. And so I just pray for myself, God, that, that, that I, I wouldn't live as a man with anyone to impress or, or anything to, to be flashy or showy about, but at, with childlike faith, knowing that God if you're going to do something big, and you always do do something big when your word is preached, that we'd know that it's from you, Jesus. And so I pray you'd move today, Lord. We love you and pray these things in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so why Isaiah 9? It's in the middle of a book. We usually go through books. We're right here, Isaiah 9. Uh, we look at it fairly extensively. We just got done preaching Micah, and we looked at this text pretty extensively in one of those sermons. And, and the thing is, is that we're leaving uh, Micah, which is an 8th century B.C. prophet, uh, and now we're going forward to Jesus in John's Gospel. Next week, we'll be there all fall. We're going to look at Jesus' farewell discourse, which is John, if you're reading ahead, 14 through 17. 
and it is awesome. Uh, now, the thing for us is that one of the things that we need to do, we need to make a transition point. I want for you in your mind and in your heart as a Christian to understand that this is one Bible, one book in the Word of God, and there are all these bridges. I want there to be a bridge in your mind and in your heart between what we've been doing in Micah this summer and where we're going in John to see that Micah was saying, hey, somebody's going to come and somebody's going to throw our iniquities into the sea, and God is going to send someone who's going to restore the broken world, and God is going to send someone to forgive those who need to be forgiven, and as we come to see Jesus, we see we have Jesus who's come. We have Jesus who has come to save us from ourselves. We have Jesus who came down to get to us because we can't get up to God. Every world system is about how you work, meditate, think, or act your way to God or to the divine, or, or in the case of some, out of this creation as we know it. But the Bible, the reality of Jesus, is the reality that God himself entered into human history as a human being and came to save us from ourselves, and he came to get us. And we need to see it. And we need to see that, that this is what was promised because Micah and Isaiah, which we're in today, are both 8th century B.C. prophets. They're, they're contemporaries. They're dudes who maybe not knew each other, but were doing their job around the same time. And all this is pointing forward to Jesus. And, and I think the other thing that's important is we're in this weird time of year, right? School's about to start. Uh, my kids are now getting to the age where school's about to start. Uh, I, I'm in post-grad stuff, so school's about to start. It's starting. And I think there's this air and this vibe at this time of year where we can feel so much hope especially if you're a student, right? If you're a student and you're like, well, uh, I didn't read my books last year and I didn't take notes right and you know, I got by by the skin of my teeth, but this year is going to be different. It's new. And I think that carries over into life after you're done with college and after you're done with school where you're like, oh, it's fall and, and it's going to be winter and I have these goals that I didn't do or meet last January, so it's time to make them anew. And, and I'm going to do that jogging and that running and that dieting and that reading that I said I was going to do in January. It's a great time to restart that Bible reading plan back in chapter 12 of Genesis where you left off three weeks in, right? Right? I don't know. Maybe that's just, maybe that's just me. I start a new Bible reading plan like every month. I do because I, I want to I do it, right? And you just got to keep going. And what I think is important this time of year is that the inclination then is for me to say, okay, here's your homework, and here's our, here's our goals, and here's where we're going to go. And I think this time of year in particular, and also in January, we'll, be, we'll do something like this in January too, because I think it's so important, is that rather than setting our goals, we look to have the gravity of our life resting in the person of Jesus that we don't start thinking about what do I need to do, but we remember in these moments when we start thinking about us and what we should do, who Jesus is, what he has done, what he is doing, and who you are because of him. And, and it's only from that place when you remember who he is and what he has done that we can even do anything in any kind of freedom. I, I don't know if you know this, but Galatians 5.1 tells you it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. You are a Christian because Jesus came to break the bonds of both our religion, where we're trying to get up to God, our false religion, and our sin, we're wiling out, doing cake stands, or whatever horrible thing we're doing, right? Jesus came to set us free from all of those things. Jesus set us free to actually live in joy and meaning and purpose. This is to set us free. The one who sets us free is Jesus. And the more I know him, and the more I want to know him, and the more I grow in him, the freer I become. Because the more I tune into what's actually real. So we're going to be here in Isaiah chapter 9. 
starting in verse 1. And so there's a bazillion ways, literally. There's these chapters in the Bible that I would just encourage you to know. Isaiah 53, Isaiah 9, uh, Matthew 5 through 7, the, uh, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, right? Romans 8. There's these chapters that you just, I just want etched on your soul because they're the stuff when the storm of life hits, and it will. Keeps you clear-headed. Keeps you sober-minded. Keeps you running after Jesus in the midst of the mess. Isaiah 9 is one of them. Here we go, starting at the top. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look here and then we're going to look forward to the New Testament and see how this happens in the New Testament, how this happens either in Jesus, after Jesus, or when Jesus returns. Okay, verse 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. But there will be no gloom for who, her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun. Zebulun. You're supposed to say that quickly and confidently and not do that, but I did it. There it is. You can try and pronounce it yourself. Zebulun. And the land of Nephtali. <clears throat> but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan, the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. So there's this powerful word here, but. Right? What's the therefore, therefore? What's the but, therefore? The, the but is therefore, therefore. The but is there, for. Space between there and for, not therefore. Uh, this word is here because we've been talking about the nations. We've been talking about, in Isaiah, the people who are living in direct and clear opposition to the God of the universe. Which, by the way, if you're a Christian, that's who you were. And because I love you, I'm going to tell you, if, that's, if, you, if, if you are not a Christian today, this is who you are. This is who all of us are. We live our lives trying to live for us. We live our lives trying to displace God from his right place in the center of the universe. We either do this by wiling out and doing whatever we want to do, or we do this by false religion. That's where we throw ourselves parades for doing good things, and we're not really doing good things as much as doing nice things for ourselves so we can feel good about it, and someone can say, oh, you're great, you gave that guy a coat. He needs a coat, right? I'm not saying the guy doesn't need a coat. The guy needs a coat, and in fact, we got to... Americans, pay attention to what John the Baptist said. What do we do? Well, you have two coats, give it to the guy who doesn't have one. Because guess what, friends? You can't wear two coats, not in Washington. And there's plenty of people who don't have and who are lacking. And part of our response to the reality that we have everything in Jesus is to give freely of what we have. But that's an aside. So here we are, and these people who are living in opposition to God. And what does he say of them? But the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the nations. That means those guys out there. The word nations in Hebrew, uh, uh, it means everybody outside the people of Israel. This word in modern Hebrew is even a rude slur to say. So I won't even say the Hebrew word that is there because it's not a polite thing to say in public. But those guys out there, and so when God's talking about those guys out there, unless you come from a Jewish background, he's talking about you and he's talking about me. He's talking about the people outside of the covenants and outside of the promises of God through Abraham. And what's he going to do to those of us who are outside and living in opposition to God? He's going to make glorious the way by the sea. Now we say, well, what does that mean? Jesus will tell us. No way. We'll get there. We've got to see this, this inclusion of the nations. Uh, Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, that's one of the apostles, by the way. Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So we're now in first century AD. We're after the cross, okay? In a desert place. And he rose and went 
And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returned sitting in his chariot. Now, he's a eunuch, which means he's got a particular situation. Now, that particular situation uh, prior to Jesus would have meant that he could have not entered the temple. He couldn't have come into the presence of God. He had to stay outside because of his eunuchness. And was returning seated in the chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah, where we just were, right? And the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. When you read Isaiah, I mean, we're in Isaiah 9. This is, as I pointed out before, this is the Christmas card verse. I'm about to ruin your Christmas card or make it better. You will have to make that decision when we get down a couple verses. And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture was read like this. Like a sheep, this is Isaiah 53. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before his shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. This is talking about Jesus. what Jesus would ultimately do for us on our behalf. Jesus is the only innocent man who ever lived, and yet he's the one treated like a criminal, so I get life out of the deal. Jesus dies so that I can live. Remember that. He died so that you can live. Only resting on the fact that you are not right with God and not that God has made himself and you right with him is only half a gospel. The good news is not, you all are sinners, horrible, horrible sinners. Now let's stand up and sing because we really don't have that much to sing about. Is that just me? It's not really, oh yeah, all creatures, yeah, great. Rather, the good news is, yeah, in Ephesians 2, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. That's where we're at. But God being rich in mercy makes us alive, not because of anything that we have done, but everything Jesus did on the cross and everything Jesus did through the resurrection. So that's why I get up and sing, because I'm forgiven, because I'm loved, because I have God, and because when I have Jesus, I have everything. That's something to sing about. Or is that just me? That's something to sing about. I got freedom. I've got Jesus. Like a sheep was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before his shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet, does this prophet say this? And Philip opened his mouth and began with the scripture, and he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip the eunuch, uh, and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Oh, this is a great part that doesn't have anything to do with the sermon, but is amazing. And they came up out of the water, and the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Because he's done. He's got other work to do. And the eunuch saw him no more. And went on his way rejoicing. So the eunuch, prior to Jesus, as far as he knows, and particularly, particularly the way that people are working the thing out, the way people are working the thing out, doesn't get to be in the family of God. He's one of those guys in the nations. He's one of the guys out there. But even Isaiah 9 promised 
All those guys out there, you and me, get to be in the family of God through Jesus. It's also interesting, we focus a lot in the scene where Jesus comes in and starts turning tables. We focus a lot on the corruption of the temple and the fact that people are selling things. You know this story. He comes in and they're making money selling pigeons and stuff. And Jesus comes in and he's really ticked off and he throws the tables. But what does he quote when he says that? My father's house is to be a house of prayer for who? The nations. I don't think Jesus is just upset that they're making money. He's upset that they're excluding people who want to come to God. He's not happy about it. The curtain's going to be torn. He's going to make access. This very verse is quoted in uh, Matthew chapter, um, Matthew 4. This is as Jesus begins his ministry. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he got thrown in the can for some other stuff that I could preach about some other time, which is fascinating. Thank you. Someone magically brought me wine. He withdrew to Galilee. <clears throat> and leaving Nazareth, Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. Hey, does that sound familiar from that other thing we just read a minute ago in Isaiah 9? By the sea. Capernaum by the sea. In the territory of where? Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people, and we're going to look at this verse in a second, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light is dawned. For that time, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent! The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The rule and reign of God in our lives is at hand. Turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. When we repent, we don't just say, I'm going to stop sinning so I can stop sinning. That's not Christianity. That's false religion. Christianity is, I stop sinning because I'm loved by God and I want the sin and the junk out of my life because I want more Jesus. Jesus is my motivation. Repentance is turning from sin to God. It's not just turning from sin. If you just make a list of all the sins, you stop sinning. That's not Christianity. That's not the gospel. And that's not Jesus. Jesus is freedom and liberation from those things. We turn from the sin and we turn to Jesus, and that's repentance. Back to Isaiah 9. Now, of course, Jesus did the spoiler but here we are in verse 2. It's not really a spoiler when it's Jesus, by the way. Uh, the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. Uh, John chapter, uh, 1 John. So if you're new to the Bible, there are a lot of Johns in the Bible. There's John the Baptist. There's John the Beloved. There may be some other cats named John that I can't think of right now. When I was a new Christian, I thought John the Baptist wrote all the stuff that's talking about John, and then it turns out John gets his head cut off at some point in time, and I was confused at how he might finish the gospel after the stuff happened when he died. And I had a friend who didn't actually have the heart to clear that one up for me. Uh, if you don't know that, that's fine. Just consider it cleared up. Uh, the point of coming, I mean, honestly, I don't want to go too far off this ditch. The point of us being a people around Jesus and the gospel together is not that we show up to show off. You don't come to show people how fancy your life is or even how messed up your life is. Your righteousness is, I'm all messed up. 
Yay, put him on the stage and tell everybody how messed up he is. Yeah. yeah maybe that's just me. I've had that, you ever had that experience? Okay. Um, so it's not to show off and how much your life is put together. It's not to show off how messed up your life it is. It's not to show people how much you know, and especially not to pretend that you know things you don't know. Because the thing that I learn, the more I study the Bible, is how much stuff I don't actually know. I start getting rolling around with saints who are nearer the end of the journey than I am, who've been reading their Bibles day in, day out for 60, 70 years, 80 years. Those guys know some stuff. So we're not here to show off. We're here to learn about Jesus. We're here to worship Jesus. That's the deal. If you want to show off, you'll miss some stuff. Anyways, back to John. John chapter 1. Someday we'll get to lunch because that thing's rolling. A lot of Bible to look at today because the Bible is awesome. And I didn't put a marker in John's. Then I awkwardly say things while I'm trying to find my spot. And then you don't feel so bad because I flip around the Bible a ton. And you're like, oh man, he's so fast. It's because I've got sticky tabs. Here we are in John, 1 John. <clears throat> that which was from the beginning. Now, John the Beloved is one of Jesus' tight friends, one of the inner three in the 12 disciples, a guy who walked around as a personal eyewitness to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, this is after the fact. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He's trying to let you know he knew Jesus. He saw him, he touched him, he knew him. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us as God sent his Son to save us from ourselves. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and the Father with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we write these things to, so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all, 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 all sin. This Greek word is all. All your sin, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Everything you did before you got here, everything you're going to do when you leave, this is the gospel. It's not you got saved, you got cleaned up, and then you did something bad, and now you got to work it off. It is that you are covered and forgiven by the blood of the Lamb. That is the gospel. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we have say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The main point here is the light and the darkness. We were in the dark, and he's put us in the light. We couldn't see, and we're blind, and now we can. We've been saved from ourselves to life in him. We've been saved from a life loving ourselves to loving God and loving others. This is the promise that was coming, Isaiah 9, and has come in the person of Jesus. Back to Isaiah 9. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy by including those guys from out there like us. They rejoice before you 
as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Because you and I, if we understand anything about anything, we understand that in Jesus we have so much. And that God is making a people out of us for his glory. If you go with me to uh, Revelation chapter 7. See how this is fulfilled. See how clearly this is fulfilled. Verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Every tribe and tongue. Every people group on planet earth represented together worshiping Jesus forever. This is a fulfillment of like Genesis 12. I'm going to bless you to bless the nations. I'm going to make you a great nation more than the stars in the sky. And Isaiah 9, the 8th century, where we're leaving, right? We're kind of leaving the 8th century from Micah. This is the thing he keeps coming back to, coming back to, coming back to. And we see fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And ultimately fulfilled in this massive, huge way in the person of Jesus. Okay, back to Isaiah 9. Oh, this one's good. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken is on the day of Midian. We could preach on that verse for years, but the word I want to look at is this word burden. Now, it's a funny word. If you ever start studying languages, the interesting thing about this word is it's got synonyms. It's got the Hebrew word nasa, which you can remember because nasa, ships lift up. Nasa, it's a really common word for like carrying something, passing over something, blah, 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 blah. This isn't that word, it's a different word. But why is it a different word? Gotta ask that question. Why is this different word here? What does that word mean? So in English, it kind of translates flat. Burden, burden, carry, carry, whatever, whatever. This word in Hebrew has a particular connotation. And it's the same word that appears in Isaiah 53. And it means to carry somebody else's burdens. It means to carry someone else's junk, to carry someone else's stuff. Again, the gospel is not clean your life up and carry your own stuff. It's you have nothing to offer God, and Jesus had to come to carry your stuff for you. He came to carry the burden. Uh, go with me to Matthew 11. Verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So the gospel is not about how much you know, and even telling people about Jesus is not about being able to intellectually arm wrestle people. I want you to be well informed. I want you to know things. I want you to study. I want you to read books by people you disagree with, particularly if your neighbors or friends are reading them, so that you can take them apart with the gospel and show how Jesus is the actual answer to the problem. I'm not afraid of reading the weird book, because I know Jesus is true, right? Been through that one, right? And you got to be mature enough to do that. But know, know what your neighbor thinks about God 
and not in an argumentative, we've kind of, we were talking about this during setup. Uh, as a culture, we've kind of lost like civility in our conversations. I'm right, you're right, blah, blah. That, by the way, doesn't help when you're trying to tell somebody about Jesus and all that Christ-like character. Ugh. I'm not afraid to listen to you, man. You got questions. Hey, so do I. And hey, I'm also not afraid if you got a good question. I say, I don't know. Can I think about it? Don't be afraid when your neighbor has the zinger. You're like, oh, geez, that is a good one. That's okay. And it's okay to say, can I get back to you? We need to know that. Ask for help. That's what community groups for. That's what Bible studies for. That's what people at church are for. That's what pastors are for. And you might come to me like, oh, that is a good one. We'll take it apart and look at it. Anyways. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. He's the way, the truth, and the life. You don't know Jesus, you don't know God. You know Jesus, you know God. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We don't embrace that in 2014. We keep putting stuff on our backs. We keep doing the crazy 2014 dance of running around and being crazy and never turning our phone off for five minutes, right? We are a heavy-laden people, and we are quick as a culture, I think, and even in the church, to run to anxiety and worry and fear, and rarely are we willing to just put down the phone for a minute and pray to God about it. Talk to Jesus about it. See what God has to say about it. See what his word has to say about it. And the reality of this rest, sin is a lot of weight to carry. Whether you're wiling out doing keg stands or whether you're trying to live religion or you're trying to dance the religion dance, trying to justify yourself in the world. Because it turns out the more you get to know you, the more it turns out you're broken and you need help. And the more you get to know you, you might even realize, I can't help myself. I need someone to help me. There's only one person who can help you. His name is Jesus. Bird's light. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is freedom. Jesus is freedom. Why? Why is that yoke so light? Because he's the one bearing it for us. Okay, now here, I'm about to ruin your Christmas card if I have enough time. So, when you go to Costco and you put a picture of you and your dog or whatever on the thing and they have the stuff, you're like, well, which one should I choose? Well, I'm a Christian, so there's two options, and I'll go with Isaiah 9. And Isaiah 9 is going to say a really awesome verse, which is awesome, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Yay, this is good. What are we going to hear about that son in verse 5? For every boot of the trampling warrior and battle tollment and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Put that one on your Christmas card and see how it goes. It's a hard thing to translate. Really literally, really, really literally, you would translate this from the Hebrew. Every boot of the booted one was shaking along with everything rolled in blood will be thrown in the fire. Now what does that mean? Right? That's a good question. What, what, what does it mean? Well, the boots of the booted one mean all the stuff for war. The booted ones 
are the ones wearing the boots doing the war, and the shaking is the sound of war. We live in Seattle in 2014. We don't really know what it sounds like to have like tanks roll up our streets, and you may come from a place where you know that sound and you know what it means. And it's even sometimes hard for us to imagine. But these are people living in the 8th century, and they know what boots sound like on the ground. And he's saying, that's going to go away. It's a kind of silence that I think for us in Seattle, it's even kind of hard for us to imagine. It's a kind of peace that it's hard for us to really grapple with. And then he says, this, this language here, um, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Uh, a little bit better way to translate that would be bloodshed. People doing wrong, people doing nasty things to other people will come to an end. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. That's a nice way to say Christians who have died and gone home to be with Jesus. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. We have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Now see, see how this is really rooted in Jesus. I've said this before and I'll say it again. My biggest problem with what we as Christians tend to do right now in this time and place with what's called eschatology, which is a really fancy word for the stuff at the end, is that we tend to forget Jesus in the whole deal. You know, we, we watch the half-hour thing on TV with a guy who used to be the USSR, now it's something else, and the helicopters and stuff. And if you're like, what are you talking about? Don't worry about it, we'll just keep going. Uh, but here we go. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But, but don't get me wrong, it's not that he's not coming back. And it's not that stuff's not going to get wild. For this we declare to you um, by word, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. We have this funny translation in the Bible where it says the Lord of hosts. And that comes from the King Jimmy, and it sounds cool. And if you live in the 1600s when they wrote the King Jimmy, you know what they're talking about. And in 2014, you're like, hosts, someone's going to have me over, and we're going to have some cookies and some little Debbies and some coffee. That sounds nice. Why is it in all these weird passages? Hosts means armies. The God of armies. This is why Jesus, when he's getting crucified, he's about to give himself for us, and Pilate's getting in his face, and Jesus is like, come on, dude. He doesn't say, come on, dude. I'm sorry about that. I'm not the, like, Jesus J-Dog thing. Have you ever heard this from youth group guys? If you do that, hey, you're free in Christ. I refer to him Jesus. <laughs> Jesus Christ, the Lord, Messiah. <laughs> um, but what does he say to Pilate? Hey, if I want to get some angel armies down here to wreck shop on your little mom-and-pop Roman army thing, we, we could do that. But that's not why I came. I came to save sinners, and so I'm going to die on the cross. He's going to come. He's going to vindicate the righteous. There are nasty things that happen all over the world all the time. And sometimes it feels like, God, when are you going to do something about it? Why is it that way? The reality is he is going to do something about it. Don't count slow. Don't count them slow as some count slowness. Four. <laughs> so how is the world going to come to this piece? How is the nastiness? How is the bloodshed and the injustice? And all these things are going to come to an end. Four. To us. 
because they all go together. See those fours? Those are all the same word in Hebrew. For his yoke of his burden, for the boot of the trampling warrior, for the child, for us to, to us the child is born. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Turns out when you pe- put people in governments, no matter how good the setup, it doesn't always go well. Jesus is sinless. And his name shall be called, oh man, you could do a whole sermon series on these four things, but hear about who he is. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. For to us a child is given. Let's hear about this child, uh, Luke. See, I'm trying to build bridges into our New Testament. See some bridges? I hope you're seeing bridges from Isaiah here into our New Testament. They're all over the place. Uh, but Luke, uh, we could read all of Luke 2. It's a nice sunny day. Pack yourself a picnic. Read Luke's gospel under a tree. It'd be awesome. But what I want us to specifically look at, oh, man, it's all good. But we will look at this. Uh, Verse 8 in chapter 2. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in a field. And if you know Charlie Brown, this will sound familiar. You're like, oh, that's in the Bible. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the babe, baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there were the... With the angel, a multitude of heavenly, here's our word, hosts, big awesome angel dudes, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. If you skip down with me to 25, when he's presented at the temple. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting in the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he saw the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God, saying, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles, those guys outside again like you and me, and for the glory to the people, your Israel. Shepherds, by the way, I'm trying to get into shepherding. It's called shepherding with goats. I'm trying to get some goats. Shepherds are low class. It's not cool urbanite farming, right? Oh, goats, that's cool. Uh, If you're a shepherd in the first century, you are low class. You are the lowest of the low. Who did God choose to reveal himself to? Low class, lowest of the low. Because this isn't just for high toppers, this is for everybody. Who else did he reveal himself to? An old man who's just waiting. Waiting and trusting and waiting and trusting and waiting and trusting. And this old man knows what's about to happen. The thing's about to get live. The thing's about to freak out and Isaiah 9's about to happen. Of the increase of his government and of peace. Hear this. So that's the kingdom of God. With the increase of his government, of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will do this. God will do it. It's God who does it. Who saves us? God saves us. How does God save us? 
How does God enter us into the kingdom? How is God ultimately going to save the world? John chapter 19, verse 28. So we're on the cross here. We're not on the cross. Jesus is on the cross. After this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished. Everything that needed to happen for this stuff to happen in the world and for you, he knew it was done. said, to fulfill the scripture, thank you, John, for the parenthetical statement so we know what's going on. I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What was finished? Everything. Everything that needed to happen for God to say of you, the same thing he says of Jesus, this is my son or daughter, whom I'm well pleased. Those Micah promises that God was going to throw our sin and our iniquity into the sea, far, far away, as far as the east is from the west. It's finished. Everything that needed to happen for you to be right with the God of the universe is finished. The reality of the gospel, freedom, life, love, joy, glory, finished. Who finished it? The zeal of the Lord will do this. I wasn't on the cross. You weren't on the cross. I didn't do it. I went kicking and screaming. God got me, saved me, pulled me out of my own junk. It's finished. Why? Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died on a cross to shed his blood to pay the price for our sin. He died so you and I can have life and life eternal. So that you and I can live for the glory of God to make much of the weight of the reality of who he is. And the way we glorify God is by enjoying him and his son. This is why, again, I said repentance is turning from sin and turning to Jesus. It's turning from the love of our sin to the joy that it is in knowing and loving Jesus. And the zeal of the Lord will do this. So what do we do with that? Because it's important. We're going to get into John 14 through 17, the farewell discourse. And and we're going to call it Believe Jesus Imperative. I want you to believe Jesus. Why? Why should I believe Jesus? Because this is who Jesus is. This Isaiah 9 guy is who Jesus is. Prophecy 800 years old fulfilled in Christ. Why should I believe Jesus? Because he saved me for myself. Why should I believe Jesus? Because he's going to put this world back the way it's supposed to be. Why should I believe Jesus? Because he is going to wipe every tear from every eye. Why should I believe Jesus? Because God came into human history to save us from ourselves. Now, this is where we, you know, I, I'm not a big application guy. Like, now go balance your checkbooks, everybody. Balance your checkbooks. Because I actually believe the Bible's not about me. Bible preaching's not about me saying, okay, now you need to go balance your checkbook. Or fill in the blank with whatever other thing I'm going to tell you to do. I actually think what's vastly more powerful is the reality that who God is, who Jesus is, 
isn't just something that I tell you to do something, but you're implicated in the reality of who God is. If you are a Christian, you get to live your life knowing Jesus, enjoying Jesus, loving Jesus in your checkbook, yeah, but in everything. You're not a Christian sometimes if you're a Christian. You're a Christian all the time. Your whole life is about this and is in response to this and who he is and what he has done. When we don't believe this, we don't actually believe his glory. We don't actually believe he is that wonderful. When we're running around wiling out or whatever, we actually just think that other thing is better. We miss that he is better. Jesus is always better. Read Hebrews. He's always better. And so for us, then, we need to be grounded in this reality. We need to seek our wisdom and hope from Jesus. And if you don't know who he is, Jesus is God. Jesus is God who's revealed himself. If you want to know God, know Jesus. A lot of times you say, well, how do I do that? Usually if you're asking that question, you're just about there, by the way. What do I do to get right with God? You can't do anything right with God. God had to get right with you. You turn from your sin and you turn from him. You can just sit there and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Save me. Help me. I want to know you. And if you're a Christian, I want you to remember as it's getting to be that time where you make the list of all the either real sins or fake sins, the, like, the sin of not doing your jogging or your Bible program, or the real sins of i got to stop whiling out and doing keg stands or whatever that thing might be. Don't just make the list and do it. Look to these things and look to Jesus and know he is our joy. Because the, uh, you're all sinners or we all need to go balance our checkbooks. That's not a lot to end the sermon with and then go sing. But this is who Jesus is. And if you're a Christian, you know him. You're loved by him. And it's finished. Let's pray. Lord, this is your day. You are the Prince of Peace. You are the Lord of Hosts. I don't want to stand here and, and figure out how to tweak or hack my life. I stand here with empty hands saying, I want to know you more. I want to enjoy you more. I want to preach the reality of who you are harder. I want, I want to love people more because you've loved me so much. I want to live not just stuck in today, but knowing you're putting everything back. Only you can do this in our lives. Only you can help us. Only you can give us eyes to see. And I just pray for that childlike faith to take you at your word and to just give our whole lives to knowing your word and knowing who you are and loving uh, you and others more every day as we're changed by you every day. Jesus, you are our God, and I just pray you'd help us and empower us to worship you well, not just when we sing, but when we go to work tomorrow. Because we're children of the King. We are the Prince of Peace. Jesus, we love you and pray these things in your name. Jesus Christ, amen. Amen.